Baby, I'm a gangster too, and it takes me to tango. You don't wanna mess with me, mess with me. Baby, I'm a gangster too. <laughs> Trigger warning. This podcast may include explicit content that will take you out of your comfort zone and make you question reality. Listener's discretion is advised. Don't fuck with me, fellas! This ain't my first time at the rodeo. It's the power. It's the power of Christ that compels you. Guilty beyond all human race. It's the Lord who expects you. He who is coming to judge both the living and the dead and the world by fire. All right, you are back for the special edition of Friday the 13th episode. The power of Christ compels you. Ring any bells? Well, tonight for the Friday the 13th special, we're meeting Reverend Bill Bean. Reverend Bean's spiritual warfare ministry addresses anything from curses, blocks, attachments, obsession, oppression, all the way to demonic possession. He's also an internationally known author, lecturer, and supernatural expert. Bill has appeared in episodes of A Haunting, Ghost Nation, and Fright Club, along with an episode of The Holzer Files. Bill was also featured in the Lifetime Movie Network series, I Was Possessed. He's actually a regular guest on the George Norrie Coast to Coast AM, and also appeared in TV series like Beyond Belief. And we are getting to meet him tonight. Of course, if you want to check out more, Reverend Bean has his very own podcast every Friday night called Warrior Mode. And you can find that by visiting his website, which I included in the show notes. It's BillJBean.com. Or you can go to YouTube and just search uh, Warrior Mode or Bill Bean Spiritual Warrior and you will find it there. I was very excited to speak with him because I have so many questions about exorcism and he pretty much nailed everything that I thought was going on. But the reason I'm releasing this on Friday the 13th is because there is such a stigma attached to this day and it's happening to fall in October. So of course we have to have a special episode here. But there is a whole fear behind the number 13, and I actually did some research on it just to include in the beginning of this episode. So, cultures have historically associated the number 12 with completeness, 
which is why there are 12 zodiac signs, 12 labors of Hercules, 12 days of Christmas, 12 gods of Olympus, 12 tribes of Israel, and anything following that, 13, was said to be a sign of bad luck. The ancient code of Hammurabi, for example, reportedly omitted a 13th law from its legal rules. And if you go to any hotel, they never have a 13th floor. It goes straight to 14. There is also something called the 13 Club. In the late 19th century, a New Yorker named Captain William Fowler sought to remove the enduring stigma around the number 13, and particularly the unwritten rule about not having 13 guests at a dinner table by founding an exclusive society called the 13 Club. This group dined regularly on the 13th day of the month in room 13 of the Knickerbocker Cottage, (laughs) a popular watering hole Fowler owned from 1863 to 1883. Before sitting down for a 13-course dinner, members would pass beneath a ladder and a banner reading, those of us who are about to die salute you. And... Four former U.S. presidents would join the 13 Club at one time or another. And I know you guys are waiting to hear about why Friday the 13th spelled doom for the Knights Templar. So one of the most popular theories around Friday the 13th is that a fearsome group of legendary warriors called the Knights Templar were massacred on this date. They were founded as a military order devoted to the protection of pilgrims traveling the Holy Land following the Christian capture of Jerusalem during the First Crusade. The Knights Templar quickly became one of the richest and most influential groups of the Middle Ages, thanks to lavish donations from the crowned heads of Europe eager to curry favor with the fierce knights. By the turn of the 14th century, the Templars had established a system of castles, churches, and banks throughout Western Europe. And it was this astonishing wealth that would lead to their downfall, according to history books. I'm not saying this is 100% accurate, but this is the information you will find. So for the Templars, that end began in the early morning hours of Friday the 13th, 1307. and. It said that a month earlier, secret documents had been sent by couriers throughout France. The papers included lurid details and whispers of black magic and scandalous sexual rituals. They were sent by King Philip of France. And in the days and weeks that followed, more than 600 Templars were arrested, including Grand Master Jacques de Molay, And the men were charged with a wide array of offenses, including heresy, devil worship, and spitting on the cross, homosexuality, fraud, sexual uh, deviancy, and financial corruption. So that just leads to another myth or truth around Friday the 13th. 
Of course, then we have the iconic horror movie Friday the 13th, and it's named so for a reason. But what bad things have happened on Friday the 13th? So on Friday the 13th, October 1307 is when the Knights Templar went down. Then there is the German bombing of Buckingham Palace, the murder of some lady in Queens, something, something. Oh, a cyclone that killed more than 300,000 people in Bangladesh happened on Friday the 13th. And Tupac Shakur was shot and killed on Friday the 13th. So, there's also a crash of a cruise ship in Italy, which killed 30 people, and that was also on a Friday the 13th. Is there something to it? I think so, for sure. I definitely think so. That's why it's got a whole movie named after it. But wherever there's darkness, there's also light. And that's what we're going to concentrate on in this episode today. Yes, this day is cursed in a way. But if you're going to talk about the darkness, you always have to talk about the light. So I'm very excited for this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, let's get to it. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Cosmic Peach Podcast. Tonight, we are attending a divine appointment. That's right. We are meeting Reverend Bill Bean. He is a world-renowned exorcist and spiritual deliverance minister, and he is known as the spiritual warrior. Bill, how are you? I am doing great, Julia. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, It's great to be on with both of you. Thank you. And uh, joining us also co-host Brian Jason. How you doing, Brian? Oh, great. Thank you for uh, filling me in and allowing me to be part of this tonight. Yeah. So I, of course, have a million questions for you, but I want to give the listeners a little background on who you are. Um, And Brian, did you, I think you had a few starting questions for Reverend Bean. Absolutely. So Uh, Reverend Bean, I just was curious, um, when I was doing a little bit of my research from your history, I came across the fact that um, at an early age, you were experiencing hauntings with almost what was like poltergeist type activity. And I was curious as how you knew that that was demonic in nature and not just a poltergeist or how someone else could decipher that if they're dealing with something similar. Yeah, and that's how it all started for me. And I truly believe, uh, Brian, that God had a plan for my life before I came into this world. Um, And I think that the devil has been trying to kill me uh, ever since. From the moment I came into this world, I've been in many life-threatening situations throughout the course of my lifetime. And God has saved me every time. So back to your question. Um, My family, I was told that two family members over a hundred years ago conjured up demonic forces through ritual invitation invocation. And they came and created a variety of damage uh, to both sides of the family. And I feel that my parents were led 
to that house in Glenbury, Maryland, in a community called Herondale, to where evil was already present and manifest. My parents were married in 1956. My sister was born in 1957. There was another child born in 1963 that died under very mysterious circumstances. Oh, wow. And um, what I could tell you for sure uh, is that representatives of Johns Hopkins Hospital came and took that body, retrieved the body for studies. And I even Whoa. contacted Johns Hopkins to, to, to find out, to get records. And they said, oh, we don't have any more records on that anymore. And um, but that happened in 1963. I was born in 1966. My brother mm -hmm. was born in 1969. So even before moving to that house, supernatural activity obviously was taking place because of that conjuring. There's a photograph that was taken of me in 1968 at the age of two. My sister and I are seated behind a toy piano Christmas time 1968. And to her far left in the photo is this very large, looks to be at least seven feet tall, uh, black hooded figure oh. in the mm -hmm. photograph. So that was the first indication through photographs that something, you know, was going on. And then the next year, 1969, I was three years old. And I guess my dad took the photo again, it's a Polaroid photo. Um, and I'm standing in front of these bushes now, this is before moving into that house. And uh, there are these humanoid figures standing behind me in single file, three of them. There is uh, what looks to be a little gray alien standing to my left. And to the left of the gray alien is a Bigfoot looking creature. And then above my head is uh, looked to be the face of a lion. And this was taken in 1969. It was as if a dimensional doorway had opened at the very moment that the photograph was taken and all these other beings were in the photograph with me. And again, this is a Polaroid photo, 1969. So then we move in uh, to that house in 1970. And my first thoughts, I was four, my sister was uh, 13. And uh, she agreed with me that, you know, our initial reaction was fear that something was very very wrong and that the house just had a very ominous look and feel about it it was located at the bottom of a downhill cul-de-sac with a very large and deep ravine behind the uh, backyard behind the house that stretched for several miles um, there were reported uh, ufo sightings and landings in the ravine bigfoot sightings in the ravine demonic activity uh, satanic cults everything uh, ritual sacrifice, animal sacrifice taking place in the ravine. Um, so then you would go inside of the house and it was equally as ominous and foreboding on the inside. It had dark brown paneling on the walls, almost black in color. Mm -hmm. And uh, the house just had a very, very heavy vibe to it. And when demonic entities are present, you, sometimes you would get pressure in your head, ringing in your ears. You would smell uh, smells of feces sulfur, uh, you know, rotted eggs or whatever, that type of smell, just really bad smells. And, um, some and no explanation for the smells. It's just no. the smells right. out of nowhere that exactly. just turn your stomach. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I was going to ask you if you ever had had any of those smells. All of that took place there. And, and yeah. so uh, you would come into the living room, 
make a right down a long hallway where there were three bedrooms. And, and many times while laying in bed at night, you would hear something coming down the hallway with hard sole shoes and it would reverberate off of that paneling uh, on the walls. And so my brother and I shared the first room on the right. My parents' room was the second room on the right. And my sister's room was across the hallway, the last room on the left. And I believe that's where the main portal was in that house. Um, that room was cold, even on the most, you know, blazing of summer days. Mm -hmm. And that's also the room where the door would open and slam for many repetitions at a time. Uh, I believe that the main portal was located inside of that room in the closet. And it was adjacent with the linen closet at the end of that hallway. We'd seen entities walk into that closet and we saw a red ball uh, of light also go into that closet never to come back out. So I absolutely believe um, those two closets were tied together as the main portal in that house. And oftentimes, uh, my dad had built a garage right outside of that part of the house. Uh, first, he put a pool there. And uh, my father was a master carpenter. There's nothing that he couldn't do. He could build a house from the ground up. He could tear an engine apart, put it back together. He had incredible skills. And uh, so when he did things, he did them with precision. And he uh, put a pole up there right, right on the side of that house and um, worked all day, you know, put it up. Everything was fine. He's filling the pole up overnight. And the next uh, day, he and my mom wake up to find the backyard flooded. Uh, something had caved that pool in. And there was no explanation for it. So my dad, uh, you know, I'm sure he was very upset over it that he had to take everything apart and then try and salvage pieces and then put the pool back up in another spot in the yard, which he did. And it stood without incident. But after that took place, then he built a garage kind of on that same spot. And I can tell you, he, he put a basketball backboard and rim and everything up there. And I'd be out there for hours uh, by myself, just shooting hoops. And then all of a sudden, I would feel a presence there. Couldn't see it, but would feel it. And I would drop the ball and run. And that entity, whatever it was, would chase me into the house. That happened many, many times. But my mom was the first to have an experience. And it took place while unpacking and organizing in the living room. My dad had taken us with him for the day to his parents' house to allow my mother to be able to organize in what she thought would be peace. And during the course of that, she felt a presence come into the room. And she thought that it was my dad coming back in uh, to play a joke on her, to try and frighten her. And she spun around fully anticipating on seeing him and to her shock, nothing was there. So that's where it started. And so she was quite taken aback by it, startled, unnerved but eventually able to go back to doing what she was doing. And then my sister's bedroom door slammed shut by itself. And that was enough to make her go outside and wait until we returned. So that's how it all began in the house. And it mm -hmm. gradually escalated into violent physical attacks on us from those demonic entities that greatly contributed to the destruction of my family. I was physically attacked beginning at age five. So between ages five and 12, I was physically attacked by demonic forces and my mother suffered far greater than I did. And she was being attacked uh, up until the time of her untimely death at age 44 uh, in 1981. So my mother 
uh, died two months and two days after my grandmother, her mother. Um, and I believe 100% that those entities had a hand in both of those deaths and many other deaths throughout my family. Most of my family's gone and, and many have died under tragic and mysterious circumstances. Uh, neither of my parents lived to see the age of 50. Again, my mother died at age 44 and my father was shot to death at age 48. So uh, they're, they're just riddled with tragedy. And of course, yeah. all the while hand in hand with this uh, demonic supernatural activity that was taking place. So what would you say in all this trauma that you've experienced, what brought you to Jesus and, and what brought you to uh, your faith? Was well, it these from, events or did you meet someone or how did it, how did it happen? Well, from an early age, I always had this blind faith. My parents believed in God, but we never attended church as children. We were never baptized. So uh, we didn't have any real faith-based upbringing, but yet at the same time, I had a strong faith. And, um, I recall one time, I don't know, maybe I was uh, seven years old or something like that, maybe in 1970, 73, 74, somewhere in there. I recall saying, and this was like nine o'clock at night, I'll never forget this. And, and again, back then, you know, we're at the bottom of a downhill cul-de-sac. This is in the 70s. The kids were in, people were in, you know, by dark, everybody was in. And, and so I said to God, I said, if you're real, make a horn blow. And um, may God strike me dead if I'm lying to you right here, right now. Mm -hmm. um, a horn within seconds of me saying that a car horn blew. I'll never, ever forget that. So that was sort of the reinforcement of my faith. I never questioned God again. Um, even though we endured horrific things, yes, I look back on that now and I understand why I, mm -hmm. I think that again, God had put this calling on my life before I came into this world. And the devil did everything that he could do to try and destroy me and to kill me, to keep me from being where I am right now. So I could not be where I'm at right now. Had I not been there to suffer. Uh, I could be the most brilliant man in the world with credentials uh, like you wouldn't believe. But if I've never had the experience, then I can't come together with the person that is being victimized. We can't come together because I can't understand it. Mm -hmm. And having experienced all these things, we can come together and they can trust me and know that I have been there and they can see what God has done for me and what he continues to do for me. I didn't choose to do this work. God chose me to do it. This was a calling. I, I actually have um, kind, kind of going back to one of the things that you experienced in your in your childhood home. Um, and I have a personal interest in this as well. But in a lot of the cases that you've worked on and even as a child, you saw Bigfoot like creatures yeah. or alien type phenomenon. And in my humble opinion, they are either Nephilim or demonic in nature. And I wondered what your thoughts on that were. You're absolutely correct. So when, um, so when Hasatan, the devil, Satan, Belial, whatever you want to call him, when he was cast out of heaven, and by the way, he held a very high place in heaven. Most people fail to realize this. Um, 
he's the son of God too, because he was created being. Yahweh created everybody, including him. Therefore, he's a son of God. And he was the choir director in heaven. And uh, he was reassigned as adversary to mankind for various reasons. And one was his jealousy over Yahshua, Jesus the Christ, the Melchizedek, the high priest for God, and to mankind, that when um, Yahweh was going to create mankind, uh, he gave us free will, and the devil just absolutely hated that. So he was reassigned in that role as the adversary to mankind. But when he was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels, the Benai Elohim, the sons of God, they came down here, They uh, and they came down, they didn't just fall from heaven. They came down in UFOs, unidentified flying objects, flying I uh, think that too. Merkaba chariots, which are now Vimana. Once he took over, they're Vimana chariots here you know, on Earth. So when they came down here, they took human women, produced a hybrid offspring of giants called the Nephilim. The Nephilim went into the uh, fields and had unnatural sex acts with apes, bears, dogs, wolves, and monkeys, mm -hmm. whatever you want. And that is the offspring of the offspring, the Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Sabe creatures. They are the offspring of the offspring. They're every bit as much supernatural as they are flesh and blood creatures. Yeah. So it that's is all I, tied together, Julia. That's mm -hmm. right. And good for you that you understand that because most people don't. And they never and, put those two things together. They put them in separate camps and they're, they're just correct. unrelated. But I, I find that there is a correlation between them. And absolutely something else that I was wondering though, is you've been doing this for a while now and yeah. have you ever, what is the most memorable or profound case that you worked oh. on? Like, did you feel like something followed you home afterwards? There are tons is it of like the movies or is that kind of made up for Well, the, I'll, the I'll be honest with you. Uh, the Exorcist film, the original Exorcist 1973 Exorcist film was very accurate, except for the head spinning all around. But uh, pretty much all those other things I've seen. And like the so, smells, the voices, vomiting, the different languages. Vomiting, all that levitation. I've seen uh, people levitate off beds. I've seen uh, eyes go all white, all black, all red. One case, they went uh, a yellow-green with reptilian slits. I've mm. seen it all. I've seen limbs move and bend and contort in ways that the human body can't without snap, crackle, and pop of bones and tendons and ligaments and all that stuff. I've seen it. I've mm. heard uh, voices deep masculine voices coming from females that were possessed, um, reciting Bible scripture after scripture. You just wouldn't believe it. Um, I've seen things and encountered things that I would say 99.9 .9 people, percentage of people on this planet have not. And if some did, they'd either drop dead from a heart attack or they'd probably never sleep again. Um, some of the most memorable, and there are many, uh, I will say probably I have to put at the top of them all, as far as most disturbing, would be uh, a case that took place in the late 80s. And I was not Reverend Bill Bean. I was not the spiritual warrior. I was still trying to find my way. And this happened to a loved one. And the loved one was possessed for 22 days. And it resulted uh, in an exorcism, which I was actually a part of that assisting the priest 
that that came to perform this exorcism, which he was unauthorized to do so uh, because he was supposed to wait for the chief exorcist uh, in Maryland to participate in this with him. But it got so severe that uh, the other priest was not available and he came on his own and I actually assisted him in that. Uh, even though I was not where I am now, he asked for my assistance. And unfortunately for him, uh, after that exorcism took place, he was put into some type of facility where he lived out the rest of his days, never to perform another exorcism again. He was affected greatly by it. And it took a private investigator friend of mine to actually find him because the Catholic Church had denied that he even existed. And wow. so, yeah. And uh, so this is heavy duty stuff. And I will tell you, I've been involved in probably thousands, low thousands uh, of cases now of people either being under demonic strongholds or oppression or sometimes a full demonic possession. But that was the most disturbing case and most severe case of demonic possession that I've ever seen in my life. And um, it nearly cost that person her life. But God did uh, work through that priest to uh, rid her of those demonic entities. And then uh, I had performed uh, spiritual deliverance over her in later years. And um, you just would not believe some of the things that took place there, including levitation, superhuman strength. At one point, 911 was called, and it took nine EMTs and police officers to hold down a 135-pound woman. So. Um. Yeah. Also at that time, uh, I was a power lifter and I could bench press over 500 pounds. I was very powerful. And uh, at one point, this 135 pound woman grabbed me with one hand by my throat and was crushing my throat. I felt like I couldn't breathe anymore. It took every ounce of strength that I had to get that one hand from around my throat. So it was very, very wow. severe. Another occasion she had... Uh, and, and I'm not so sure because I didn't witness it. Um, I'm not sure if it was her or actually the demons themselves that picked up a 10 pound dumbbell and threw it into the bedroom door and it exploded the door. The door was splintered. These That's are things so that you guys, even if you saw them with your own eyes, you go, am I really seeing this right now? Is this really happening? But it did. And, and of all the cases, and believe me, I've been involved in some severe cases of demonic possession throughout my career, but none of them topped that one. And um, I, I'm just thankful that she's OK. But what uh, what an experience. Twenty two days. Do you feel like she or anyone can invite things in? There's various ways that these entities could come in. And yes, through invitation and invocation, of course. And that would be through a variety of ways, whether it's standing there summoning or a Ouija board or whatever it may be. These are all, uh, so the devil deals in legalities. And if he has a legal right to be there, then God will allow it because of our free will. So if we're doing something that opens the doorway for the devil and demons, they are going to come in. They're going to kick that door in and they're going to stay on that person until someone like me comes along. Not that I'm anything special. It's the power of God working through me to evict these entities. 
That's mm -hmm. it. Otherwise, they're not going anywhere. So, uh, but in other cases, and I will say that in a, not in all, but I would say the most common thread is unfortunately uh, child molestation, um, things of that nature, violent crimes, rapes, uh, physical, mental abuse. Wow. And, and what this is, uh, you know, usually starts at childhood between ages three and five. And what this is designed to do is to get the person, the victim, in a very high state of trauma. And when that takes place, secretions. Oh, you're saying to get them to uh, dissociate so they can open themselves up to something. Not, not only that, and there are mind fractures that take place like that, but blood and secretions come out of the pineal and the adrenal glands. And that is the most powerful drug that we know of on planet Earth, adrenochrome. And demons love it too. It's a drug to them too. And they will, they're not only, they're obviously on the perpetrator to do these wicked and heinous acts, but then they will go on to the victim because now they're feasting off of that and wow. they will stay on the victim until they are evicted. Wow. So I've had cases with people to where they were carrying around uh, demons with them for many years and there will, would be different points in time. And usually it's, during a time of stress, uh, trauma, whatever it may be, that activates those demons to where they can fully attack, manifest and attack. So I've had many cases like that to where people had suffered in childhood uh, and then were carrying around these demonic entities for many, many years. And um, it's heartbreaking, but I cannot describe to you in words the feeling of joy that I have in knowing that God has actually worked through me to deliver that person and evict those entities from them. And then we have to sit down and put a game plan together for that person's life to make sure they keep all those doorways closed and they can move forward to have a good and blessed and productive life. Now, Reverend Bean, I, I have a question as far as uh, some of these possessions are concerned. Oh, a lot of times when we've been talking about it, it's been one entity, but, um, you know, I've read and watched shows and then I've also seen things in the past where, um, and I don't know if there's any truth behind it, where multiple entities could attach themselves to an individual. Yeah, it's true. And when you're dealing with something like that, have you heard, like one of the scariest scenes I ever saw in a movie is when I heard like seven of the same voice come out of one individual. Mm -hmm. you, you know that there's more than one entity attached to an individual. Yeah, I have heard it. Um, have you heard something like that? Have you seen I something? I sure have. And I've had to. Um, the last time that happened was in 2017. And um, this poor lady, there were at least 20 demons that I had to cast out what? off away from her. Yeah, one after another after another. And I would cast one out and another one manifest. And, and uh, you're right. They can all speak at once. But as you're binding, rebuking, and casting them out, the next one manifests, and the next one, then the next one, then the next one. So I will never forget that because uh, it was an exhausting process, yet at the same time, it's the power of God working through me. So I'm just a vessel that he's working through to do this, but I have to do my part as well. So I have to be in control at all times, no matter how crazy it gets. And believe me, I've been in many life-threatening situations throughout my lifetime, including 
being the spiritual warrior. People have handed me their guns saying, I want to shoot you right now. They've tried to stab me, slash me, bite me, physically attack me, spit on me. You just wouldn't believe it. You'd have to see it for yourself. But each and every time through it all, God has been there for me to keep me safe and protect me. But at the same time, my part is that I have to be in complete faith and I cannot show any fear. So I have to remain in control of the situation at all times, no matter what's taking place. Mm-hmm. And therefore, God will help me to eradicate and evict uh, these entities. If I lose control, then it's over. If I've given in the fear, it's over for me. It's over for the people that I'm helping because now the devil's gotten a victory because I've lost control of the situation. So I must remain in control at all times, no matter what. Do you have to know the name? That's another, maybe a myth or, or a legend. It is a myth. You have to um, know the name. And some people still do that in exorcisms to this day. They feel that they have to know the name. That's not true. Uh, you... So whoever goes into this, uh, we're an agent for God. And Jesus himself, many times, just went and said a couple of words, depart, be gone, and they were gone. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not Jesus, and I don't claim to be, but I, I try to be in the order of. I'm not David. I don't claim to be, but I try to be a warrior in the order of. So I don't care what their names are. I'm an agent for God that is going there in order for God to work through me. Yahweh is his name to work through me to bind and rebuke and cast out demonic entities. So I don't have to know their names. I don't care what their names are. I don't have any dialogue with demons except to take control of them, to bind them, rebuke them and cast them out. And there's times they've tried to talk to me and I'd say, be silent, be silent by the mighty power of Yahweh, his mighty and holy name of Yahshua, Jesus, the Christ name. I command you to be silent. And so I'm always taking power and authority over them. I've seen videos of people that claim to be exorcist or whatever on YouTube. And they're sitting down with a person that's supposedly possessed. And they're sitting there going, Okay, demon, tell me what the future is and all. And I'm thinking, this is Jerry Springer. This is preposterous. <laughs> this is, uh, I, I just not, can't. That's not how you do no it. Way. And I can't believe that people actually believe that. And all a demon can do is lie. So even if you were like, oh, demon, what's the future? It's just exactly right. some so kind why, of lie story why anyway. Why would you want to have a dialogue with someone or something that is a liar. You're not going to get the truth. So uh, the only thing that can happen out of that is something bad because the person that is engaging in this dialogue can be misled and then led into a trap. So what about holy oil or holy water or crucifix? Uh, do they turn them upside down? Do, do they burn when you sprinkle the water? Like what? what's the truth about that? Well, I've seen... Uh, And let me say this, there is no power in any of those things, except that we are invoking the power of God through them. And so uh, crosses, yes, I've seen them inverted. I have seen uh, things burned in. I've seen people that uh, when I hit and I use a combination of holy water, holy oil, holy salt and frankincense. And and so when I sprinkle that or shake it or I even have a spray bottle, 
Um, I've seen people jump like they were being burned and electrocuted. I've seen that. I've also seen uh, things that were burned into a floor uh, in a house in Pennsylvania. Um, so I have seen these things. And another case in 2014 in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, uh, I had performed uh, an exorcism of a woman that was fully possessed. She uh, was saved. She tried to jump off of the second floor balcony. She would have jumped to her death. And I had uh, a young man with me that pulled her back and uh, saved her life. And um, after that was completed, it's not over with. I have to go through the entire home to make sure that there are no demons hiding or lurking there. And then I have to come back and sit down as a counselor and we have to put a game plan together for this person's life in moving forward. But it was during this, um, when I was going through the, the house. Now, when I first entered our home, I bless it. But this is the anointing. Okay, so I have to anoint the home and make sure that there are no demons hiding or lurking there after these exorcisms take place. And it was during the course of this, I'd gone through the entire home except for the top part, which was... Uh, an attic that was being converted into a master bedroom. So there was a, a wide set of steps there uh, as I'd gotten up to that third level. So I go up the steps and to my right, um, there was a lamp. So it was uh, a lighted area over there. I blessed that area first and anointed that area and just made sure that it was clear. Then I had to go over to my left, over to the other side, which was completely dark, except for a double window that was to the right. There were no blinds or curtains or anything. And the moonlight was coming through that window. And I'd say probably six feet away from that window was a ventilation shaft. So standing between the window and the ventilation shaft, was a seven, at least seven feet tall, black hooded entity that looked like it had folded in wings. It's like points coming up over the shoulders, glowing red eyes. Mm. Now I want you to visualize this. And I was standing within 10 feet of that entity, just like this. And I had a Bible in this hand and my holy mixture in this hand. Now think about what I'm saying to you, because in most cases, people would just faint they would turn around and head for the hills, rightfully so. But it was only by the power of God working through me that I could stand there and withstand that. And I said, by the mighty power of Yahweh and his mighty and holy name in Yahshua, Jesus the Christ's name, I bind and rebuke you and cast you out and command you to depart. And I shook that three times and it hit it. And that thing let out a screech like I've never heard before or since. It was so loud that it rattled the windows in the home and then it departed. Wow. So I have to be very, very thorough in all these cases to make sure that something like that is not hiding and lurking and just waiting for another opportunity uh, to come back in. So part of the game plan for a person in moving forward, obviously is to keep the doors closed that opened in the first place and allowed these entities to come in we have to make sure that they stay closed furthermore if a person is delivered and their temple is clean 
And if they go back and open those doors again, that seven more wicked than the original will come back. And that. Oh, I've heard that. I've heard that seven more wicked. Yeah. They'll come back because they have a legal right to, if the doors open again, they have a legal right to come right back. Mm -hmm. And I've had cases like that to where I had to go to a person three and four and five times until they realized that they could not open those doors anymore. Wow. Brian, did you have something? Well, um, I was just curious, and this is kind of just moving forward with, with the career, but um, tell me if I've got anything wrong here. Uh, Did you start your exorcisms uh, or was your first one around 2013 or is that incorrect? That's that's correct, Brian. And it was a family in Maryland. And uh, when God first put this calling on me, I thought, he must have a sense of humor. What can, <laughs> telling me to do? I, what can I do for anybody? Um, mm-hmm. I first started sharing my story in 1996, and I was having a plethora of experiences then. Still, uh, with UFO sightings and non-human-looking beings, uh, I've had Men in Black experiences, surveilled by black copters and vans, phones, tag, you name it. I've been through all of it, and so I was telling my story. I was a guy telling a story back then. And um, I really didn't get worldwide exposure until 2006. So I had already been telling my story for about 10 years. And then in 2006, the A Haunting series featured my story. It aired on September 7, 2006. And that put me on the map internationally. And so then people from all over the world were sending me messages. And a lot of people were asking for help. I said, I can't. I'd refer them to people that I thought could help them. But I couldn't help them. You know, I was not there yet. And uh, furthermore, I had no intention because I thought, hey, I, I want to be free from this. I don't want to roll my sleeves up again and immerse myself in this evil. Mm-hmm. So uh, but yet God had another plan for me. My wife and I got baptized, I believe it was in 2008. And uh, everything changed then. I was real and sincere about making God first. So when we together decided that we were going to make God first in our life, everything started to change. So we're, you know, I, I'd led such a cursed life and I was so, uh, it was a repeated pattern of abuse and destruction throughout my life uh, until I was able to break those patterns. And the only way that you can break those patterns is to be real authentic with God and with yourself and to have the willpower and the desire to not do those things and break those destructive patterns. So Uh, I found that the closer that I drew to God, the closer that he was drawing to me and the more blessings were coming into my life. And so then I started feeling this calling that he was putting on me that I could go out and help people and that he would work through me and help them. But I still resisted that for a long time because I had such a low opinion of myself and I felt so unworthy. Um, It took quite a while and it took Uh, studies. And so, unfortunately, what I mentioned to you about my uh, mother and grandmother passing, I was a young boy and I quit school in the eighth grade and lied about my age and went to work for a construction company. And I was suddenly put into a world working with some hardcore guys. And that made me a hardcore guy. And I started drinking and using drugs I grew up on the streets. I was violent. I hung out with the worst of the worst people. Most of those people were dead or in prison. I could have been there as well. And um, so 
wasn't until years later when I was sincere about making God first in my life that I had a real desire and I asked God to please, I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to use drugs anymore. I don't want to be in this type of life anymore on the streets. And all. And he took it from me. It was a process though. It wasn't an overnight thing, but I'll tell you what was overnight and instant was that he took the desire for me to want to drink and use drugs. It was instantly taken from me. But then it was a process to break those destructive behavioral patterns. And then I engaged in years of serious studies, biblical studies, historical studies, you name it. I've studied it. And so God has blessed me with wisdom and knowledge far beyond anything that I could ever imagine in my life. And then I went on to become uh, an ordained non-denomination minister. And uh, as Brian said, the, the first family was in Maryland. They had a severe demonic problem. And I'll never forget it. Uh, even though it was the first time of me being in a situation like that on behalf of someone else, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, just knew it, that this was, God was, he knew what he was doing. And, and he was really calling me to this. And it's the greatest thing to know what your purpose is in life. And I never looked back from there. And it's just, uh, it's in the thousands now. I mean, there's so many people, you know, I've helped so many in America and, and in 55 other countries as well. I mean, that in itself is supernatural. Mm -hmm. It is miraculous. So when people say that God uh, doesn't work miracles, I beg to differ because he's worked so many miracles in my life that I've lost count. Furthermore, he works a miracle for each and every one of us every single day when we open our eyes. It's the gift of life. We are not promised tomorrow, so we should be very thankful for each and every day of life that he gives to us. Amen. Yes. So um, what a journey it's been. Mm -hmm. Now, Reverend Bean, I know you said you've done a lot of traveling. and I read oh. about that. 55 different countries yeah. all over the world. I think yeah. one, of the, one of the questions I had was... Have you dealt with anyone who is one, either of a different faith than Christianity and had to perform an exorcism or a complete non-believer at all? And they had uh, uh, a possession. Both. And, and the non-believer became a believer after that. And um, I've helped people, Muslim people, uh, I've helped people in Pakistan. Um, one exorcism I think of right now was in Cairo, Egypt a young lady, and uh, they could hardly understand any English. I don't speak their language either. But yet, through it all, God gives a, I guess it's through intent. So even though you can't understand each other's language, it doesn't matter because the intent and the invocation of the power of God to evict these entities supersedes any type of language barriers. And that, that's happened several times. So there was a family in France. They didn't speak English. I don't speak French, but yet God worked through me to deliver them from evil. And I truly believe that is through intent. And so his power could supersede anything, any barriers that there are. So when I have moments of reflection, which isn't often because I'm always so busy, I'm always on to the next person. But when, you know, we have a discussion like this, a few things come to mind and that in itself is supernatural that uh, a person can absolutely be delivered from evil, even though you don't speak the same language. So 
When I was listening to one of your other interviews, you were talking about if you didn't have discernment, you couldn't do what you do. Correct. And I was wondering if you could break that down for the listeners, because it's something I'm very passionate about talking about is discernment. And everyone needs to get right with God and get their discernment in order, because there's so much going on in the world. And unless you have that, you cannot perceive what is evil and what is good. Correct. And that's by design now, Julia. Um, So it always goes back to Isaiah 520. What are those who call evil good and good evil? And that's exactly what we're living in now. We're living in a sin-filled fallen world. Yahweh has given uh, the devil this short time to have his way. And he's Mm -hmm. literally trying to recreate the world in his image after his likeness, after his kind. And so anything goes, and we're seeing that full on here in America, especially. And um, with that, people have lost their moral compass. Mm -hmm. People will vilify those who stand up for truth and good and right. Therefore, these people are wide open for demons to just feast off off of them and to work through them to be a curse to mankind, to be a danger to others, to sow terrible seeds, and to bring curses upon anybody that they come into contact with. So I find it refreshing that both of you ask these questions and that you have a real understanding of truth. Mm -hmm. So good for you. Well, our grandfather was actually a reverend. God bless you. And yeah, so we grew up, um, and and I'm pretty sure actually we used to hear stories. I don't know, Brian, if you ever heard the story about Papa casting the demons out of um someone after a revival one time, and they wouldn't let the kids in the sanctuary because it was going down. But we always heard the stories about how our grandfather would do something like, and I've always believed in deliverance because we grew up thinking and knowing that that was a real thing. But even for you, you know, for you, Reverend Bean, when you go into someone's house, can you discern, is this a curse? Is this an oppression? Yeah. Rather than a possession. Yep. And, and again, I don't claim to be, anything but i can tell you this that god gives me a knowing of things and so i've been in some cases to where i didn't even get into the house i'm pulling up to the house and god's starting to give me a vision of everything that's taking place he would show me where the demons are at that time and even showing me whose room that belongs to i I recall Mm. one case saying okay so uh, this is so and so's room right here and i'm seeing and they said how do you know that i said god is showing me show me open portals in the closet of that room as well and most times there there are portals that can manifest above below to the sides inside but i find that most of the portals especially the big portals are in closets or basements uh Mm -hmm. somewhere near electrical stuff because again this is all frequency and vibration and they feed on those frequencies and vibrations and they become empowered and most empowered by one emotion and that is fear so that's why you see all these little parlor tricks take place that you see on all these ghost hunter shows and yeah these things do happen but 
it's by design to get the person in fear. And then once they establish that and get the person in fear, now they can really start their attack because all life operates on frequency and vibration. Uh, and that's established by Yahweh speaking the world into existence by the frequency and vibration of his voice. So everything operates on that principle. So when you lower the frequency and vibration of a person, they are wide open and vulnerable for demonic attack. And this is right out of the devil's playbook. He knows what he's doing. He's very clever. And it is all tactics to divide and conquer, kill, rob, and destroy. And as part of that, you know, there's this isolation and the isolation process can't take place unless they have that person in some serious fear and trauma. Therefore, the person will just sort of that makes so disassociate. much sense. Yeah, it, the, it is literally the the monster under your bed or the monster yeah. in your closet or down the dark hallway at the end waiting for you. Correct, absolutely correct. And they're looking for openings. And boy, when they see that uh, the person is now, you know, in that fear based, trauma based way of thinking and living, it's a smorgasbord. Wow. All they have to do is press certain buttons and man, they've got that person under control. And I call it a spiritual virus after that, because then it spreads throughout the family and everybody's in turmoil and chaos. And it's one bad thing after the other. And it's as if the person and or family and anyone connected them has a dark cloud over their head and everything just goes wrong from there. And everybody's met a person like that. Mm -hmm. Like when you get around them, you actually feel drained. Yes. Absolutely. And so those demons are working overtime on a person like that. And it's very sad and tragic. And we, we can't force anything on anybody. We all have free will. So it's going to take that person by their free will to want the help, to want to be free from it. Otherwise, I mean, I have seen some cases, unfortunately, uh, where the victim just refused help, just wow. would not allow me to help them. And that's by their choice. And it really pains me. Uh, but I've seen it. Uh, I've seen a couple of cases uh, throughout my career by not getting that help that uh, a mm -hmm. couple of uh, victims actually committed suicide. And it is uh, it's heartbreaking. And it's Brian, uh, did you have any personally. closing questions for Reverend Bean? Yeah, I was going to bring one up, and uh, it's just because uh, it kind of is nostalgic for me, in a sense, because while I was growing up, there was one radio program that my father had to record every time it was on. It was AM Coast to Coast. Oh, isn't that something? Coast to Coast AM. And I saw that you had been on a few episodes. Um, is that, how, how did that come up, come about? And and. And uh, he also gave you a testimonial, if I'm not mistaken. In several of my books, yeah, I'm, I'm very good friends with George Norrie and his executive producer, Tom Denheiser. And um, I can't remember really how that came about. I think uh, many years ago, Tom had contacted me and somebody had sent my story or made him aware of my story or something. And so I been on that show probably 20, 30 times uh, throughout my uh, career. But um, the first time, I want to say maybe 2008, 2010, somewhere in there. And uh, so again, you know, it was a guy telling a story. And then 
uh, you know, once I became the spiritual warrior, uh, George and I became really good friends and, and George, um, really loves the work that I do. And, uh, he just had me back regularly to get updates on the latest happenings and cases and things of that nature. But you're right, Brian, he's endorsed several of my books, um, given me an endorsement for my website, you know, as, as part of a testimonial, uh, great guy. And I've also been on his TV show. He has a TV show called beyond belief. Yeah. And I saw I, that. Yeah. yeah. I was on his show a couple of times, uh, with him on that and I'm making an appearance with him on October 14th at the Lincoln theater in Columbus, Ohio. We're going to be doing a live coast to coast on stage there at the Lincoln theater on October 14th. Oh, that's, that's in Brian's I, that's neck, neck of the, of the woods. woods. Well, you guys, I mean, you're going to have to, you have to come out there. Yeah. yeah. I, was wow. just, I was just in uh, last week or was it a few days ago? I, everything's a blur to me. Uh, <laughs> I was in, I was in Finley, Ohio. Oh, which is near Columbus, right? Yeah. It, uh, what were you doing out there? Were you just- uh, I had to help a family. So oh. any, anytime I'm traveling, I'm going to help somebody. I, I never take a vacation. There's no leisure time for me. It's always going to help. So we're, we're, I'll be traveling uh, in the morning and, and that's to go and help a family as well. So wherever my travels take me, it's helping people. So uh, I went out there to Finley, wonderful family. And God worked through me to help that man and his uh, family members as well. And I actually drove. It was like eight hours and 15 minutes each way, I think. And um, it was worth every second of that drive to get there and for God to work through me uh, and having him uh, to have worked through me to bring peace to those people and deliver them from evil. So they're doing wow. well now. Praise God. So uh, and I had the greatest experience in uh, Finley on my way when I left the, uh, the client's house I was fasting I was starving after I was over with and um, so pizza is my favorite food and I found a pizza place there right in the little mm -hmm. town and um, they were the nicest people and it was just so great just to walk in there I could feel the goodness in that place and um I waited, I don't know, I was probably waiting for about 10 minutes or something after I put my order in. And the young man comes from behind the counter and he hands me my money. He says, sir, I'm so sorry for your wait. Here's your money back. I said, oh, no, no, I don't want my money back. No. <laughs> so they, they brought me my money back and brought the pizza too. And the pizza was fantastic. But everybody was so great in there. And um, mm -hmm. I went up and thanked them again before I left. And they said, oh, come back. I said, well, I'm in Maryland. I don't know when I'll be back in this area. And then a family behind me uh, started asking me questions. And now I'm talking with them. They're praying for my safe travels. It was just a, a wonderful experience. Oh, that's so cool. And I mm -hmm. love that place. I hope I do get a chance to go back there again, because I would have to say, in all my travels, and I've seen all of America, uh, that would be at the top of my favorite little towns that I've ever been in. Wow, that's so awesome. Now, now uh, Reverend Bean, we had a little conversation before you came on, and uh, you got to tell me if I'm right or not. So when I was doing some of my research, I came across something, and it might have been on IMDb, Okay, but it's, it was a, it's a little known fact. And 
It said that you used to do professional wrestling. Huh, yeah, very, very <laughs> briefly. And I know a lot of those guys. And uh, yes, I, I've really only had like three professional matches, but uh, that took place in uh, Minnesota. In um, Oh, Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, Brian Dorn uh, from, I'm trying to think of the name of the IWC or something like that, uh, brought okay. me in uh, to appear and then be a part of these matches. So uh, it was amazing. And, you know, I had um, <clears throat> prior to that many years ago, I was a power lifter, uh, also boxed, martial arts, you name it. Uh, but I had sustained a severe injury to my shoulder, very severe to the point to where doctors told me that I would never lift another weight again. And um, so that derailed uh, my career in professional wrestling and I uh, knew a lot of those guys still know a lot of them worked out uh, in the gym with some of them. Um, and uh, so that's why it never materialized into uh, what it could have been. But yet at the same time, I did have three professional matches and uh, the, la the last time in Minnesota, uh, I'll never forget it. I felt like I was run over because Brian Dorn, who was the promoter of the promotion had brought me in, but he, he, it was a tag match and he and his partner, um, let's just say they were laying them in. And, um, so I remember going back, uh, but cause he and I collided, he was about 350 pounds. Uh, at the time I was probably about 260 and, um, we collided in the ring. I mean, we really hit together hard and I had a <laughs> bruise and I had a black eye and everything. So wow. going back on the flight, you know, the black eye. and all. So I was definitely in uh, some contact there. Uh, in the <laughs> so I had it, the, the bruises and the scars to prove it. Yeah, no. The, so he said that to me and I said, no, get out of here. Yeah. But see, it's just funny because God had other plans for your life. That's right. And so I was very much a physical warrior back then. I've been in the bar business as well for over 22 years. I was uh, a bouncer, manager of securities. I could write a book just about those experiences. And um, so I was very much a physical warrior back then. But then you're right. God had a better plan for my life and the plan for my life to turn me into this spiritual warrior and to work through me in the way that he does. And I can never thank him and praise him enough for it. So I have no regrets about anything. I am so thankful that he chose mm -hmm. me and that he works through me to do these things. So I can yes. never thank him and praise him enough for that. That is amazing. And so you've been very generous with your time. And I know that you're actually on your way to another case. So before I let you go, can you let the listeners know where they can find your website and your very own Spiritual Warrior podcast? And thank you uh, again, Julia and Brian. It's been a pleasure to have been on with both of you. And I hope we can do this again soon because there's a lot more to talk about. Yes. And maybe well, I can I have you guys on Warrior Mode. Is there, is there what, nine books or ten books? Because I'm yeah. ten, ten books. Yeah. Ten books. Yeah. And that in itself is miraculous because I told you guys earlier that I left school in the eighth grade. So really, I've got a seventh grade education. However, God really has blessed me with wisdom and knowledge and the ability and capability to write these books. In the beginning, when I first started with the first one, Dark Force, I was ready to throw the whole thing down because I couldn't do anything. And that was the same way with reading the Bible as well. 
And I prayed and asked God, please help me, Father. Please help me to understand this. Please help me, uh, give me the ability to be able to write. And I kid you not, it, it was like a switch turned on. And then all of a sudden I could start to do these things and have comprehension and the ability uh, to, and my wife helped me greatly, greatly as well uh, with diction, punctuation, spelling, all, mm -hmm. you know, all these things. But uh, now I'm happy to tell you that it has evolved uh, to where it's very easy for me to sit down and put a book together. I mean, I think that last book, um, everything's a blur to me right now. My, my mm -hmm. last book about the uh, possessions and uh, uh, one to say stranger than fiction, but it's way past that. I can't even remember the title of my latest book. How sad <laughs> is that? Tales from an Exorcist. Um, in writing that, I think I put that book together in less than a month. So what I do when I write is I put a game plan together. So it's outlined and defined. And so I say to myself, I'm going to commit two to four hours every day and or night to writing this book. And I will not deviate from it no matter what until the project is completed. And that's how I'm able to crank these things out so quickly because of that level of commitment and dedication. And mm -hmm. I praise God again for working through me to be able to put these things together. But it, what a journey to come from a place to where I couldn't even write one sentence, you know, that I would say would be correct grammatically right. and, and to where I'm at now to where it just flows very easily. So never in a million years did I ever think that I would be in this position where God will work through me to help people and to be able to author books and to have uh, any type of intelligent dialogue to where I could give teaching and blessing and guidance. So our God, makes the impossible possible. He does his part. Right. We have to do our part. And our part is to hearken on to his voice, make him first. So if those, for those of you out there who may have never read the Bible and you have no desire to do so, I would urge you to go to Deuteronomy 28. Just go there. And, and if you look at that, if you hearken on to his voice and you make him first and you're sincere, he will bless you in all of your ways. And if you don't, you're going to be cursed. It's as simple as that. It's not rocket science. It's truth. I mean, mm -hmm. living witness to this. So this is what God does for us. He makes the impossible possible. Here we are right now. And without God's power and blessing and favor and love and protection, we wouldn't be here doing this right now. So we thank you and praise you for everything. And for those of you out there who may be in need, um, my website is billjbean.com, www.billjbean.com. Visit the site. You can contact me directly from the site. You can also click on um, the uh, contact part of the site and you'll see my YouTube channel. Click on that and that will give you access to all the Warrior Mode broadcasts. Uh, we do that live every Friday night at 11 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we did it last Saturday night because I got back from Finley, Ohio uh, so late. I was exhausted, moved it to Saturday night. But this week and, and usually every week is on Friday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern. And again, Julia, thank you so much. And Brian, thank it's you. really been a pleasure. And I enjoy doing interviews with people like you, A, that have knowledge and understanding of things and B, that do research. And so you already knew some things about me and that made oh yeah that much oh better. yeah we were yep we were turning all the pages and and trying to to see what we could find out about you but um i 
Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a blessing um, learning everything. And I hope the listeners go and check out more from your books and from your website. Thank you so much. And to all the listeners, thank you. And we will catch you on the next one.